you have your Bible, we're turning to Isaiah 62, Isaiah 62, and we're going to read a few verses this morning, and trust that the Lord will have something to say uh, to every one of us. What a week we had, I'm sure everyone here this morning that came, whatever time or how many times you came to the week that went past of ministry meetings, every single one of us were blessed, and I trust this morning that the Lord will come and really take his word and burn it into his heart. And I trust that's the desire of your heart this morning, to, for the Lord to take you higher up the mountain into fellowship with him. You know, dear friends, this morning, that's the most precious thing that you and I can have this side of heaven, is to walk with God on a daily basis, to hear and to feel the conscious sense of God. And I pr- trust this morning, even as we open the word of God together, that the Lord will encourage you to go on with himself. Now, there's a crash at the back. If you need that, you're very welcome to use it. Don't feel that you have to sit in the meeting. Don't feel that you have to go out. Just do whatever the Lord and what you feel comfortable with uh, this morning. But we want to just concentrate ourselves on the Word of God. We want to give the Lord all of our attention this morning. We're reading from Isaiah 62, and we're reading from verse 1. Isaiah chapter 62, and commencing to read at verse 1. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof goeth forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. The Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all the kings I glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Heth Shabbat. And thy land, Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. Down to verse 6. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold thy peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish, and till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord hath sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. Surely I will no more give thy corn to be meat for thine enemies. The sons of the stranger shall not drink thy wine for the which thou hast labored. But they that have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And they that have wrought or brought it shall drink it in the courts of my holiness, go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the ends of the world, say ye to the daughter of Zion, behold, thy salvation cometh, Behold, his reward is with him, 
and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called sought out, and a city not forsaken. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word to our hearts. The Apostle Paul, whenever he was writing to the believers at Rome, he said these tremendous words that whatsoever is written aforetime was written for our learning. And you know, whenever we come to this tremendous chapter of Isaiah 62, maybe there's some here and you're not so familiar with this chapter. But whenever you and I read this chapter and get alone before God and we meditate upon it, I tell you there's a richness here and there's a sweetness within these verses that will feed our soul and will encourage us to go on with God. I would go a little further this morning and I would say this, that it's almost well nigh impossible to read these verses and to remain unchanged and to remain unmoved by the hand of God. And that's the desire I'm sure of many in this meeting this morning is for God to take us as believers out of the norm, for God to take us out of the mundane things of Christianity where just like a door and a hinge there's movement but no progress. My dear friends, this morning God's desire for you and I as the people of God that are saved, his desire toward us is to bless us abundantly. The blessings of God are described as being pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And I wonder, is that the desire of your heart this morning, to go through with God into full blessing, to go right into the enjoyment of the things of God, where it's not just verses that we quote, where it's not just cliches that we say, where it's not just hymns that we sing, but where there's vital, vibrant relationship between you and I as the people of God, where we hear his voice and sense his presence and feel his power. You know, dear men and women, this morning, this chapter is one of those chapters that look away into the future. A prophetical scene is being set before us in a day when the children of Israel, the, the nation of Israel, when God grafts them back in again and they come through that period of great tribulation into the millennial kingdom. There's a prophetical sense here. There's a historical sense because we can look back to the time in the life of the children of Israel when they forfeited their blessing and went into bondage and into slavery under the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and all the blessings that God had given them and all the blessings that God had for them, they forfeited them because of sin. And there's not only a prophetical scene looking forward, there's not only a historical scene looking backward, but this is what I'm after this morning. There's a spiritual, personal application to you and I today. And every time that we come to the Word of God, whether it's in the Old Testament or whether it's in the New Testament, wherever you and I may read, God has something to say to us today. The Bible says today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart. And I've been praying, and many have been praying for this meeting this morning, that God would give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God would say to our heart. There's just two things I want to leave before you out of this verse this morning, and out of this passage of Scripture. 
And I want you to remember them this morning, and I want you to take them on down through the week and meditate upon them and feed your soul. The first thing I want to talk to you about is a lovely description of the saints. Secondly, I want to talk to you about a longing desire of the Savior. Those are just the two themes that I want to run with this morning. A lovely description of the saints and a longing desire of the Savior. I don't know if you've ever taken time to go through the Bible. I don't know if you've ever taken time to study the Scriptures and find out how God describes you and I, his people. And not only how he describes us, but what characteristics he looks for in our life. And I want to bring a few of them out to you this morning. If you cast your eye to the last verse of the chapter, to verse 12, it says, Thou shalt be called a holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and thou shalt be called sought out. And you know, dear child of God, in the meeting this morning, praise God that there was a day in your life whenever the hand of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God sought you out. I can tell you every single one of us were just filthy reptile sinners in the sight of God. We had nothing to draw his love toward us. And yet in love he sought us. Oh, the love that bought me. Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold. I tell you, dear friends, this morning, if you had a child and you're out in the park and that little child wandered away, you parents would search for that little child. And to think that the almighty God, the creator, the sustainer, the one that knows all of our shortcomings and all of our sins, he sought us. He called us out. He not only sought us, cast right of verse 12 again, and it says that, they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed. He not only sought you, he bought you. To think of that. To think that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down into this old sin-cursed world and he gave himself a ransom for us. To think that the sinless, spotless, crimeless, harmless, faultless, flawless Son of God died in an old Roman gibbet for you and for me. I can't understand that this morning. I can't take it in. I can't measure the depth or the height or the breadth or the width of the love of God. But all I can say this morning, and all of us that are saved, we can say with the Apostle Paul, he loved me and gave himself for me. And then he goes on again in verse 12. And he says that the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and thou shalt be called, sought out as city, not forsaken. I can tell you, dear men and women, that moment when we come into a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that day when we repented of our sin and the burden of guilt and shame was lifted away, we not only were sought and we not only were bought, but we'll never be forsaken. That soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And here this morning, I want to bring your attention to another description of the people of God, because we're not only to be redeemed, and we're not only sought, and we'll never be forsaken. But if you cast your eye to verse 1, he talks about the righteousness thereof. 
And I can tell you, dear friends, this morning, that moment that you and I were saved by the grace of God, that moment that we were plunged onto that fountain of cleansing blood, that moment that we were washed of our stains and released of our chains, I want to tell you the holiness of God was imputed to you and I. The moment that a man or woman, no matter how vile a sinner they may be, the moment that they put their trust in the Lord Jesus and repent of their sin, God imparts his righteousness to us to legally clear clear us of all of our sin. The word in the Bible is the word justification. It's just as if I never sinned. Wasn't that the mighty truth that Martin Luther discovered? Whenever Satan came into his bedroom in that vision and he started to write all the sins that Luther had ever committed, and Luther got his inkwell and fired it at the wall, and he says, write them all, Jehovah, thank God he findeth none. Praise God. The righteousness of God that is imputed. Thirty-nine times in the book of Romans, Paul talks about the righteousness of God. In Romans chapter 4, he talks about the God that imputeth his righteousness to us. And I tell you, dear friends, this morning, you and I, no matter if you're in the trial, no matter if you're in the storm, to discover that you and I have a holy standing before a holy God, I can't understand that. I can't understand this morning, that day, in the 22nd of February 2010, with all of my sin, with all of my immorality, with all of the drunk and all of the drugs, that moment that I laid hold of Christ by faith, God removed all of the sins of my life. Gone in a moment of time. And the burden was lifted. Praise God this morning, the burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. All because of the precious blood. Whenever a baby's born, a baby doesn't have a past. And I can tell you the moment a man or woman comes into that living relationship with the Lord Jesus through the second birth, God deals with the past. Maybe you're in the meeting this morning and you're not saved and your past sins and the past shame is weighing heavy upon your soul. This is what the Lord would say. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he can lift the burden. He can lift the shame. He can lift the sin. He can lift the barriers of blessing. And my dear men and women this morning, if you're saved, you ought and I ought to be living in the good of that this morning. To have a righteous standing before a holy God. Romans 3 says the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe. The righteousness of God. But I tell you, dear men and women, this morning, it's one thing to have a righteous standing before a holy God. But I wonder this morning, after the week of ministry that we have heard, and after we have discovered and we've heard the tremendous truth of living clean and holy lives before God, I wonder, does our standing in the heavenlies match our state down here today? I wonder, does those two states correspond and fuse one with another. That holy standing, no matter when we fall, no matter that when we feel, that will always be there, that righteousness that is imputed by God at the moment of salvation. I wonder, is that being lived out in our daily experience? I wonder this morning, are you and I a holy people? I wonder, is that the desire of your heart to be clean and to be pure? 
In verse 12 again, cast right to it, the very first description, it says, And they shall call them the holy people. And Eric said many things in the week that come by and it warmed my heart. And one of the things that he said was righteousness is rightness. To live right before a holy God. And if you cast your eye to verse 1 again, the desire of the Lord was that their righteousness would go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. My dear men and women this morning, that's one of the great longings of the heart of God for you and I as people is not just to have a holy standing before him in the heavenly realm, but he longs and looks for a holy people, people that are clean, people that are pure, people that have a cloudless sky before a holy God where there's nothing between Lord. Nothing between. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Is that a real reality in your life or is it just something that you and I sing? Is that a real experience in your life this morning that you can stand before God as a man or woman that is born again and say, Lord, as far as I know, there's nothing between me and thee. You see, that's the desire to bless him. Way back in the book of Psalms, it talks about the anointed life. And maybe you're here this morning as a young person and you want to be under the anointing of God. Maybe the Lord has called you into a ministry. Maybe the Lord has called you into a sphere of service and the prayer of your heart would be, Lord, anoint me with power for service. Well, I'll tell you how to get it. The Bible says, because thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, therefore God, even thy God, has anointed thee. And the man or woman that lives a holy life, the man or woman that lives a clean life, a man or woman that lives with nothing between the Lord, I tell you, the power of God will rest upon that person. Because thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. You read through the book of Kings, and you'll discover that there was kings, and it says that they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And then you'll read over into the next chapter and you'll see another king and it says, and he did not that which was right. My dear friends, this morning, one of the greatest hindrances to blessing in the life of any believer, and if you have a desire to go through with God this morning, you say, Stephen, I don't seem to be able to get through. Why do others seem to get through with God? Why do others get through to victory? Why do others get through to blessing and I can't seem to get through? I would almost be sure of this, that you need to nail sin in your life. Nail it. Whether it's gossip, whether it's slander, whether it's watching filth on your television, whether it's impurity that you're feeding on in your mind, if you want the power and the blessing of God, be ye a holy people. Holiness becometh of the Lord. Holiness is wholeness. And wholeness leads to happiness. And I can tell you, dear friends, this morning in the evangelical church in Northern Ireland, there's a dearth of happiness. And if you trace it back, you'll find that there's very little wholeness. And you go back another step and you'll discover that there's even less holiness. And holiness is wholeness. And wholeness leads to happiness. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. I can tell you, dear friends, this morning, 
And if you and I want to really go through with God and you and I that have been spoken to in the week that has passed, if we want to take with what we've heard and run with it, we'll need to not only be right with God on the vertical level and say, Lord, expose every area of disobedience in my life. Expose everything that grieves and wounds and vexes the blessed Holy Spirit. Lord, I want you to be open. I want you to take your divine scalpel, Lord. I want you to take your divine microscope and bore into my soul and be in a vertical level with God. Nothing between. But you'll have to go another step further and you'll have to be right in the horizontal level. Right with others all around us. Now here's a question. Some of you dear people that maybe were away yesterday in the church outing. And maybe something happened in a way that you wouldn't want it to happen. I wonder have you ever gossiped about anybody since yesterday? I wonder have you ever ridiculed someone even in the week that's gone by? And you try to put them down under your foot so you can be exalted up. And my dear friends, it's one thing to be right with God on the vertical. It's another thing to be right with one another on the horizontal. And whenever you get a vertical line and you get a horizontal line, as Eric said, you will get the cross. My dear friends, whenever we're living right with God and whenever we're living right with one another, whether it's in our relationships in marriage, whether it's in relationships with a friend, whether it's in relationship concerning the member of a church, whenever we're right with God and right with men and we get that horizontal and that vertical line right, that is where power is released. When God comes down, whenever God will move, we hear a lot today about the, the fruit of the Spirit. You remember even John the Baptist came and he preached on the fruits of repentance. But four times in the New Testament, Paul and James talks about the fruit of righteousness unto holiness. We have a holy Bible. We have a holy God. We have a holy spirit. The holy priesthood was anointed with holy oil. God dwells in a holy heaven. The house of God is described as a holy house. And God will have a holy people. That's unarguable. The Bible says without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And you could be here this morning and you could be a Sunday school teacher. You could be involved in the Friday night. You could be involved in a ministry in this church. You could know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and quoted from Revelation back to Genesis. But if you are not a holy man or woman, if you and I are not living before God, this is what the Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And I ask again, as we look into our hearts after all that we have heard, are we just going to agree with it and even put our hand up, or are we going to respond and go through with it? To be hearers of the word, and then doers of the word. But there's not only righteousness that is a characteristic of the people of God. I want you to cast your eye to verse 2. Because the people of God are not only marked by righteousness, they're marked by newness. In verse 2 it says, And thou shalt be called by a new name. And my dear friends, way back in Revelation chapter 2, whenever the Lord Jesus was speaking to the church at Pergamos, he said these words, To him that overcometh I will give to eat of the hidden manna. And I will give him a stone, a white stone, and inside that stone shall be a new name. Everything that God does is marked by freshness and newness. Let me say that again. Everything that God does is marked by newness and marked by freshness. 
God never gives stale blessing. God never gives a stale word. God never gives a second-hand blessing that someone else has had. God always gives that which is fresh, that which is new. I tell you, dear men and women, would that be the desire in your heart this morning? Would that be the desire in your heart for God to do something new? Where you say, Lord, take me out of the formality and the mundane things of spirituality. Take me, Lord, away from the rhetoric and take me away, Lord, from what other people have told me and other things that I've read. Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. My dear men and women this morning, whenever you and I are people that will say, Lord, I don't want to know about you from someone else. I don't even want to sing about you from someone else. Lord, I want to get to know you. And Moses, that mighty man of God, saw the quail and the manna from heaven. He saw the sea parting. He saw the cloud by day and the fire by night. But in Exodus chapter 34, Moses, that man of God, that man that was so miracle after miracle, he came to the place in his life. And this is what he said, Lord, thank God for the miracles. But show me thy glory. Lord, I don't want to just see the outward show anymore. I want to get to know you, Lord. And Moses had an experience on the mountaintop where God hid him in the cleft of the rock and God passed by and Moses was never the same again. And my dear friends, this morning, go through with God. Go right through to get to know him. If you're ever going to get to know someone, you need to spend time with them. And if you're ever going to get to know God, you'll need to spend time with him. And again, let me say, everything that God does is marked by newness and marked by freshness. I wonder this morning how many are here and your spiritual life has become stale and dry. It's become barren and withered up like the man in his hand as he stood in the synagogue. It says that he had a withered hand. Well, I have a promise for God from God for you this morning. And I've been claiming it for almost five weeks now from the last time that I stood in this pulpit. And I'll tell you what the promise is. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in the high places and fountains in the midst of the valley. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I wonder this morning, do you want the rivers, the wells, the springs and the pools to get away from the little drips and the little trickles for God's deluge of power and blessing? My dear men and women, would to God every single one of us will go right through. Go right through. The gospel is described as good news. Whenever you and I were saved, we got the new birth. We got a new father. We were brought into a new family. We were given a new nature, for if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. We were placed into a new position as kings and priests unto God. We were given a new song. We come by a new and a living way. We've been given a new covenant and a new testament. Jeremiah said, his compassions, they feel not. They are new every morning. New. It was God himself who said, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? 
We're going to see someday a new heaven and a new earth. And almost the last thing that the Lord Jesus said to the churches in Revelation 21 and verse 5, Behold, I make all things new. Do you want to be a new you? Do you want to be a new person? Do you want to go through with God and rise in the plains of spirituality where you get away from the mundane and away from the carnality and away from all the pollutes and defiles and hinders the blessing of God and say, Lord, do something new, Lord. Do something new in me. And there's some of you here this morning and you've been placed in an area of ministry whether it's in prayer, whether it's in singing like our sister Catherine, whether it's in preaching, whether it's in the open air, and you've become blunt, and you've lost the cutting edge, and that power that you used to enjoy, and that times in the Spirit of God used to carry you like other people, and you can see it, and you say, Lord, I've lost it. I want that cutting edge back again. Well, here's a word from God to your soul in Isaiah 41. He said, I will make you a new a new threshing instrument, having teeth that will beat the mountains to chaff. And my dear friends this morning, God's desire and my desire, small though it may be for you and I, is to go through into something new, to be a new person, to have new desires, to have new victories, to have a new relationship with God. Behold, I make all things new. Something fresh, Lord. I would love to have something fresh. Do you know there's hardly a prayer meeting that I'm in? And I'm sure you'll have had this experience. But you don't hear someone pray, Lord, give us something fresh, Lord. Lord, give us something new. Lord, we thank you for 1904 and 1859. We thank you for the old hymns of Wesley. Thank God for the mighty hymns of a bygone day. But oh, God, do something new. Do something new. Where God becomes real. My dear friends, this morning, the most precious thing, the most blessed thing that a man or a woman can have is that God makes himself real. For God to be real. I wonder, is he real to you? I wonder, is he real? I wonder, do you come away from a prayer meeting and say, Lord, it was a, it was a performance tonight. But oh, I want something new. I wonder, do you ever get up in the morning and you read your Bible and say, Lord, thank you for the wee promise. But Lord, I want something new. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know? The people of God are marked by holiness. They're marked by newness. And they're marked by steadfastness. If you cast your eye to verse 6, it says, I have set watchmen upon the walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence and give him no rest till he make Jerusalem or till he establish and till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. My dear friends, this morning, time has beaten me already before I get on to this last closing point. But there's two renderings of that portion of Scripture. 
One of those renderings is this, ye that make mention of the Lord. And I tell you, dear friends, it's good to make mention of him. It's good to talk about him. Do you ever be in the presence of someone and all the talk about his work? And all the talk about his money? And all the talk about is the weather. I'm sick and tired of talking about the weather. I tell you, dear men and women, I want to be in the company of people that talk about him. I want to gather around myself a band of men and women that are more worried about God than they are about the weather. Make mention of him in your workplace. Make mention of him in your school. Make mention of him to your family and to your friends and even to your enemies in the church and on the street. In season, out of season, talk about him. But there's another rendering. You'll find it in your margin. If you have a marginal reference, it'll say these words. Ye that are the Lord's remembrancers, keep not silence and give him no rest. You see, one is to do with our witnessing. But whenever you read this marginal reference, it does, it's to do with our praying. Ye that are the Lord's remembrancers, keep not silence. And I want to speak a word to a mother in this meeting this morning, whoever you are and wherever you are, and you're almost giving up. And your family's not turning out the way that you thought it would turn out. And there's rebellion and there's stubbornness maybe even in your children. And you've come to the place and you say, Lord, I've been praying night and day and I've wept tears. Lord, what's the use? And you're maybe this morning ready to give up and go back because of defeat and weariness and even despair and because of doubt. Well, here's a word from God to your soul. Ye that are the Lord's remembrancers, keep not silent. And I put a big ring around the little word, till. Till. And you'll get that little word twice. You'll remember Abraham. That man of God. And as the Lord Jesus praying, carnal came down and met Abraham and told him what he was going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. And how he was going to burn it up with his vengeance. And Abraham remembered Lot. And you know what Abraham done? It says that Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And you know all that he did? He reminded the Lord about his mercy. And I can tell you, dear friends, whenever you find it hard to pray, and whenever you go into the study in the morning or down on your knees and you say, Lord, I don't know what to pray. I can hardly pray. Here's something for you to do. Just remind God about his mercy. I tell you, dear friends, the mercy of God is the same today as it was then. No different. Hasn't diminished any in his resources. What about Moses? That man, the whole people were against him, over a million of them. And he says, Lord, I can't bear this burden on my own. Lord, I can't do it. I'm pressed out of, out of measure. And God was going to annihilate the people of Israel. Take them out, as it were, because of, their, because of their sin and rebellion. And Moses got away up onto the mountain. And you know all that he did? He reminded God about his covenant. And thank God, God is a covenant-keeping God. And God is not a man that he should lie, neither is he the son of man, that he should repent. What about Elijah? That man, as he stood in Carmel, there had been no rain for three and a half years. There was death, and there was drought, and there was barrenness. And Elijah went up on to Carmel and put his head between his knees. And you know what he did? He reminded God about his power. Hallelujah. 
the one that had all power has still got all the power today. And David, whenever he is hunted like a flea across the hills of Judea, he all, there was many times in his life and all he could do was remind God about his promises. And maybe God has given you a promise, dear mother, in this meeting for your children. Maybe God has given you a promise, dear sir, for you, the days that lie ahead and it seems so, so far from being a, a fulfilled. Just you remind God of his promises. Keep reminding God. And ye that are the Lord's remembrancers, keep not silence till, till he come. You'll remember the little widow in Luke 18. And the judge that feared not God and the regarded man, he says, because her continuous coming, I'm going to give her the desires of her heart. Go again, go again, go again, go again. Keep praying. Keep pressing through till he come. That's the lovely description of the saints in the house of God. Now I wonder this morning. I wonder, I would just wonder how many of us line up with that. I'm not giving you anything deep this morning. I'm not giving you some theological explanation that you've never heard before. I'm just asking you, does your experience and my experience line up with the Word of God? Are we marked by holiness? Are we marked by freshness and newness? Are we marked by steadfastness? But as a close... There's one more thought, and this is the last one. Because there's not only the lovely description of the saints here. There's the longing desire of the Savior here. Did you ever wonder what the Lord desires for you? Have you ever got alone with God and say, Lord, what's your will for my life? Have you ever got down on your knees and said, God, show me what you want me to do. Show me what you want me to be. And I'll tell you what it is if you cast your eye to verse 10. Because this is God speaking. This is not Isaiah speaking now. This is God. And in verse 10, this is God's desire. This is the Lord Jesus' desire. The one that bought you. The one that sought you. The one that will never forsake you. This is his desire for you today. Listen to it. Go through. Go through. Go through. Go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up the standard. And my dear friends, this morning, I'm not going to bore you with headings. But all I can tell you is this, that there's a liberty that you can experience. There's a liberty that you and I can claim for ourselves. If I was to take you way back into Babylon, 40 years of children of Israel, they were out of the promised land. They had forfeited their blessing. They weren't enjoying the land of milk and honey because of sin and rebellion and disobedience to God. And Nebuchadnezzar came and took them into Babylon. And there they were in bondage. Psalm 137 says that they sat down by the river in Babylon. They hung their harp upon the willow. And they said, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? And there's some of you here this morning and you've lost the song. There's some of you here this morning and you've lost the victory, lost the joy, lost the high plane that you used to have, lost the anointing, lost the power, lost the passion. And you've hung your harp upon the willow and sat down by the river of Babylon. 
But there was a day 70 years later whenever God moved in the heart of old ungodly King Cyrus and the gates of Babylon were opened again for the people of God to go back to where God wanted them to be. Back to blessing. Back to their inheritance. Back to victory. Back to the enjoyment of God. And God said to them, the gates are open. Go through. My dear friends, this morning there's some of you here and God spoke to you in the weekend and by. And God put his finger in areas of your life. Maybe there's an area of service that God wants you to go into. Maybe there's an area of blessing and victory that you know that you don't have. It's not your experience. And God this morning has swung the gates of bondage and, uh, and the gates of sin. He swung them open. And he says to your heart this morning, on this lovely sunny summer Sunday morning, Mother, go through. Go through. Oh, just don't sing about it. Oh, just don't talk about it. Even don't just put your hand up. Go through. Go through the gates. You know gates speak of opportunity. You know the gates swing open. And whenever Peter was in prison in Acts chapter 12, it says whenever the angel came and loosed the chains from off him, and it says they went by the first ward and the second ward, it says, and the gates opened of their own accord. And it says these lovely words, and Peter... Pass through. My dear friends, this morning, go through with God. Whatever the expense, whatever the cost, whether you have to humble yourself, whether you have to go back to a brother and sister and put your arm around them and say, look, I've got resentment in my heart for you, whether you've told lies about them, whether you've stole things, whatever you do, whatever you need to do, go through. Go through. This is the word of God to your soul. Go through. Go through. But you know, the verse goes on, and this is what it says. Go through, go through the gates. And then he says, prepare ye the way. Duncan Campbell, that man that was mightily used in the Argyle revival, way before the revival broke out in the Hebrides. And after he was mightily used in the Argyle revival, For 16 years, Duncan Campbell went into the ministry and he said that his soul became barren and dry because he took an avenue that God never led him into. And one morning at four o'clock in the morning, his little daughter came into him and knocked his study door and says, Daddy, I want to talk to you. And he got her up on his knee and he says, What is it, dear? And this is what she said, Daddy, God used to use you before. Why is he not using you now? What a challenge. What a challenge. And Duncan Campbell said that his heart was opened by the scalpel of God. Daddy, God used to use you before, but he's not using you now. And that night they went to a conference. And the man in the pulpit spoke on going through with God. And Duncan Campbell came home from the meeting that night, went into his study and told his wife, don't give me any supper tonight. I just want to meet with God. And he shut the door. And in the early hours of the morning, one, two, three, four o'clock, he cried unto God, God, I want to go through. I want to go through. And his little daughter, six, seven years of age, opened the door at four in the morning and got down on her knees beside her father who was weeping. And she put her arm around Duncan Campbell, and this is what she said, Daddy, whatever the cost, go through. Whatever the cost, Daddy, go through. 
And Duncan Campbell that night got a touch of God. And Lord, the Lord sent him into the Lewis revival. Because there was a man and went through. My dear friend, are you going to spend your life singing about it? And even talking about it? And being more worried about food and barbecues and all that's great. But when are you going to get concerned about God? Go through. And cast up the stones. And I don't know what stones that may be blocking the pipe in your life. Maybe there's stones of greed and bitterness and unforgiveness. And whenever those stones that are blocking the pipe, whatever the stones may be of disobedience, my dear friends, cast the stones out of the way and go right through onto the highway as we heard the other night, the highway, the highway of holiness. Go through with God thy vows to pay. And all upon the altar lay. The Holy Ghost will do the rest. And lead thee into God's very best. I wonder what stones are in your heart. Because the Lord in Ezekiel 36 says, I will take away the heart of stone. And I will give you a new heart. A heart where the love of God can be shed abroad by the Holy Spirit. A heart that is pure. A heart that is tender. A heart that is obedient to God. Oh, I tell you, dear friends, is that the heart that you need? Is that the longing of your soul this morning? Say, Lord, I want that. I want to go through, Lord. I don't want to waste my life anymore. And then finally, there's not only a liberation to be claimed and a preparation to be made, there's a person to follow. Because it says, lift up the standard for the people. My dear friends, we quote it often, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And that standard is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to hold up a cross. We're not to hold up an empty tomb. We're to hold up a risen, exalted, extolled Savior this morning. The one who the Bible says always causes us to triumph in Christ. The one whom the Bible says that always giveth us The victory, not just some of the time. Not just 99% of the time. And he can give you victory over pornography, sir. He can give you victory over temper, dear sister. He can give you victory over anger and gossip and bitterness in those areas in your life, no matter how hard you try. They just seem to leap out of the darkness and destroy your testimony. My dear friends this morning, don't follow me. Follow him. Didn't we sing that this morning? Everywhere he, fo- everywhere he leadeth, I will follow. I will follow on. One of the old Puritans was wa- walking down the street one day. And a man went over to him and says, Sir, what are you doing today? And he says, Young man, all I'm doing is I'm following. Following. To see Cushing... He longed to go through with God and into the surrendered life. And after he put his life on the altar and yielded himself, lock, stock, and barrel to God, and said, Lord, I want to go through, I want to go through, he took his pen and this is what he said. Down in the valley or upon the mountain steep, close to my Savior will I ever keep. He will go me for me in the path that he has trod. Up to where there's blessing on the hills of God. Follow, follow. I will follow Jesus everywhere, anywhere. 
I will follow on. Oh, follow, follow. I will follow Jesus. Everywhere he leads me, I will follow on. There's somebody in this meeting this morning. God is speaking to your soul. God has spoke to you in the nights that gone past. You maybe even responded and thank God for that. But here's a nail that God is going to drive into your heart. Go through. And the real rendering of that verse is a continual sense. Go through, go through, go through, go through. If I started in this meeting and worked down where our brother Raymond is, and went across where young Ewan is, and across Adrian, and down where Ryan, and across every pew, down past Richard, down past every one of you, down past Alan, and down through Sylvia here, down every one of you. Here's what God's saying to your soul now. Go through. Georgina, go through. Miriam, go through. Stephen, go through. Go through. Go through. You need to go through. And I pray that those two words burn in your heart. And even away down into the midnight hours, you hear God say, you still need to go through. You need to still go through that gate of restitution. You need to go through that gate of apology. You need to go through that gate where you stole and you need to go through. Go through. My dear friends, whether we have gossiped or whether we have exaggerated or whether we're hooked on pornography, whatever it is, I'm not here to condemn you this morning for all I am as a sinner saved by grace. But as an elder in this assembly, I would love to help you. We cannot do this on our own. We need one another. And you're as important in this assembly as anyone else. And if you need prayer today, come and let us open the word of God. Don't think that we're unapproachable. We're here to help you.